Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. Wherever you are, Positively Different Radio in the morning, you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning, Minnie? You know what? I'm always good when I have gotten up. Like, I always have so much energy at the start When you morning. have gotten up. Like, yeah, the getting up okay, can that's, be... that's significant. <laughs> that is significant what you just said. I definitely hit the, like, hit the wall of, oh, I'm tired now, like, two, three in the afternoon. I'm definitely one of those people. But once I've gotten past the getting up stage, so you got up, I'm like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> Was it challenging... Getting through the getting up stage this morning. Did you have a frost? I did. I was just saying to Liam that I had the ice on my windshield, and I was like, "Nah, that's just that's just fog." And I was like, "Oh no, that's <laughs> that's okay. actually I'll ice." Get back out of the car, all right. <laughs> it was colder out, out our way than it was yesterday this morning. How cold was it? I don't know, but they were just it was just cold. I heard this. Oh, okay. How are you this morning? How are you feeling? Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Good, good. Yes, so I'd like to hear. Uh huh. What are you thankful for? Okay, I'm thankful for, I'm really thankful. Let me tell you what I'm thankful for. Yesterday, I was just like trying to get some uni work done and I just wasn't as productive as I wanted. And so I was like, self, we're doing just these three things you have to do before bed. And I was like, oh, okay. And I did the three things and then I was like, oh, it's not even nine o'clock yet. I can read my book. And so I got to read my book and I didn't, well, I probably should have felt guilty, but I didn't feel guilty because it's the worst when you like have something to do, but you want to do something else and then you don't, yeah. Anyway, so I'm very thankful that I did that, had an early night and then God helped me wake up at like 20 to five this morning to do my devotions. I was like, yes. That's fantastic. So I had this interesting experience. You know how when you wake up in the morning sometimes, uh, well, before you wake up, you're you're having a dream. Yes. So I was dreaming and in my dream I was praying about something and my alarm went off and I'm like, oh no, the alarm's going off. So I had to hurry my prayer so I could finish my prayer, <laughs> then switch my alarm off and then I couldn't remember what I dreamed. But I do remember what I was praying in my dream. Interesting. I, it was weird, but it's kind of cool. You're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Because you need to tell us some positively different news this I do. Morning. These are all Australian stories this morning, actually. Oh, cool. Go Aussie. This one I thought was like the most Australian good news stories I've heard in my life. So, um, a girl named Alina Eleanor. Anyway, Eleanor Walsh has been recognised by Peter Australia for her efforts in rescuing and rehabilitate, re- rehabilitating an injured huntsman spider. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? I am. <laughs> Does this not sound like the most Australian story? <laughs> this not not a pet, just a just a outside wild wild spider she found. So right. yeah, so this she she hand fed the spider, she nicknamed it Peggy for a month. Right. Basically it had lost all its legs bar two. Hey. Mm. And so when she first found it, she was like, oh, maybe I put it out of its misery. But then she's like, oh, I just, then I looked at it and just felt sorry for it. And then she did a quick sneaky Google, like, can, can spiders be saved? And apparently they can grow their legs back, all of them. I didn't know that. Me either. Yeah. Anyway, apparently they can. So she's like, all right, I'll look after it. So, um, yeah, she, she, she is it. Okay, let me get this straight. She is usually an animal lover, but not so much for spiders. But she's like, all right. We'll yeah, have I'm kind of thinking there's probably a lot it's of people just, yeah, in that same category. And they're Bit thinking this morning, why didn't she just <laughs> step on it? But no, she hand fed it with tweezers, cockroaches every day, which also I'm like, where do you get the cockroaches from? 
I think you can buy them from a pet store. Oh, that makes more sense. In my head, I fully pictured this chick like running around that house or somewhere trying to find cockroaches. They must be small cockroaches. Yeah. Some of them are teeny though. They're yuck, yes. but they're teeny. They are. Um, and yeah, and so- I would have squashed them as well. <laughs> also, I also would have. Um, but yeah, so she did this for a month. Um, all the legs have started to grow back, but she wants to keep it for another month so that it has a little bit more stability and power and control. So yeah, she still has it and is going to let it go in a little while. Um, so I have, I have so many questions here. I mean, is the spider <laughs> going to become dependent? Will it be able to survive by itself in the wild? I didn't mm. know that they could grow their legs back. Uh, will it just starve to death when she lets it go? Has she done more damage than good? Has it had two months of pain without legs? Yeah. Well, this is something I was thinking about, right? What you just said. So when she was saying, you know, I haven't oh, said that. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. You go. I, I just have to say, I'm impressed with this uh, with this person's dedication to this. Oh project. yeah, they're, they're committed. Yeah. No, I was thinking that. I was like, you know, she she was like, I'm not going to put it out of its misery. I want to help it heal. But did that put it through more misery of like prolonged pain? I don't know. Can we know? Well, I don't know <laughs> all can the we, questions. Can, can we know whether a spider feels pain or not? Yeah, look. Look, I guess it did come from the wild, so it has some background in fending for itself. But, yeah, two months. I don't know. Maybe spiders lose their memory. That's right. How long does a spider's memory last? Can we put a tracking device on this spider and find Find out? (laughs) Anyway, so Peggy eventually will go back in the wild. Will it survive? We don't know. (laughs) Um, Interesting project. Yes. Well done. So that was that story. Um, Then we have a story about Australia Post. So... Australia Post has started, uh, or maybe they haven't started it, maybe they've had it for a while, a hashtag of thank a posty. Um, and it's basically, Talking about Australia Post and yeah. spiders. Yes. Oh. I, I, oh. I reached into my mailbox one time Brilliant. to get my mail, mm-hmm. and there was a big huntsman spider in the mailbox. Lovely. Yep. And it ran up my arm <gasps> no, I'm as I'm getting my mail out of the mailbox, and I was sitting in the car. <laughs> and then, so it ran up my, and my mailbox was down like the end of the road. It wasn't anywhere near the house. It was, yeah. You know, one of those ones was down the end of the road. So it ran up my arm. It ran down my, it ran up, down my sleeve. Oh dear. And then down my side and then out over the top of my jeans. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good thing. And I'm trying to flick it off and it I'm missing lost in the car? every time. No, it didn't get lost in the car. <laughs> it got to the bottom of my jeans. Mm. It went up inside <sighs> my pant leg. Oh no. And it sat on my calf muscle. Oh, dear. So the question is, what do you do? If you, if you lift your, if you lift your, 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 your jeans up mm-hmm. to try and find the spider and flick it off. i go higher. He's going to go higher. <laughs> so you don't do that. So what do you do there, Minnie? What do you do? Look, I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe you just have to like put one hand so it can't go up and then just... Did it, how did you get it out? Did it just run away? Well, I very, very gingerly drove back to the house without <laughs> moving my right leg. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> Where I, in the privacy of my own driveway, mm-hmm. took my jeans off from the top down uh-huh. so that it went out the bottom and not up the top. <laughs> it was a traumatic experience. Oh, look, look. It took great self-control. You know the worst? I'm just going to keep with the spider. I remember once I was driving, I'd like just gotten my peas and you're like, yeah, independence, yay. And then next minute, massive spider dropped down from the rear view mirror. 
And you know when you're driving and so you can't panic but also you're like totally panicked. You're like, what are you doing here, mate? And it just, just chilled out and then I was like, how do I like focus? And anyway, I don't know. I don't know if it went out the window or if I pulled over. I can't remember. But I just remember being like, yeah, I'm an independent driver. Go me. And then I was like, I take it back. <laughs> Someone else can deal with this. <laughs> I was riding in the passenger seat. Okay, you're just going to have to call through, guys, with your, with your spider stories. Uh-huh. 1-800-324-843. Or text is on 0491 You see what you started here with this spider story. <laughs> last, story. last one, last one. Driving along uh, and uh, with somebody, young lady who had just got her peas. I think I was probably pee, pre-peas at the time or uh-huh. just got mine as well, but about that age. Spider, you know, dropped off the uh, sun visor, landed in her lap. Oh, no. Followed by her landing in my lap. Well, she was At 100 kilometres an hour <laughs> down the highway. <laughs> and suddenly, I was driving the car from the passenger seat Brilliant. with somebody else sitting in my lap. <laughs> yeah, that was an adventure. Yeah, that's the word for it. <laughs> they actually reckon that spiders are one of the most dangerous animals on the road and that they may possibly account for more fatalities than kangaroos. Is it because of that, because of the unexpected? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a bunch of you know unexplained why did this car run off the road kind of thing and hit a tree oh. and they think it could quite well actually be spiders. Oh. Mm. I don't know how we you just, fix that. Because we don't know. You, you can yeah, never, you can never tell. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe now in the days of uh, cameras, mm. we'll start to get a bit of a picture of that. We've used up the whole time That's okay. It's been fun talking about spiders. It has. Not my normal morning. <laughs> You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so turning to more serious stories, um, our prize today is all about the power of forgiveness. Mm. And it's interesting to listen to or read, I should say, some of the impact statements that have been delivered to the Christchurch shooter in New Zealand. And of course, he will be uh, sentenced later on today, probably to a life sentence. But it's kind of interesting to, I guess, just yeah, contrast some of the reactions mm. of the people. Oh, the, the ma- victims, yeah. The victims. The majority of victims are, you know, coming forward with statements like, I will never forgive you. Um, I can never forgive you. It's impossible for me to forgive you. Some of them are quite strident in what they are saying, where they truly want to see this person suffer for the rest of his life and then suffer in hell for the rest of eternity. Mm. And from a human perspective, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. You know, my natural reaction is exactly the same. I am challenged by what the Bible says about forgiveness, and I'm challenged by the book that we're giving away in relationship to forgiveness. Absolutely. Can I even forgive this man? You know, in my own person, in my, in my own heart, can I find it? You know, can I find it within my heart to have a desire? To see this person saved and in heaven. Mm. You know, this is, for me, this is personally challenging, and I don't know anyone that was involved or impacted by that Christchurch shooting. Mm. Um, but yeah, some of the, some, some of the statements are, are, are quite interesting. Um, John Milne, who's the father of Sayed Ahmed Milne, um, and this young, young man was shot in the back of the head while he was praying, he took two photos to his impact statement, one for the judge and one for the shooter. And he said, I forgive you because I can't do anything else. Um, I forgive you. I pray for you. I pray that you find a better way. 
and I pray that you find your way to heaven. That's huge. That's massive when mm. you stop and think about that. And I'm just sort of like, I'm really, really blown away. I mean, he lost his teenage son, just mercilessly shot in the back of the head, and he comes through with something like that. And I'm thinking of the impact on the shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, the shooter went there because he is a hateful person and he wants to create hatred. Mm-hmm. What happens when that fails? You know, when somebody comes through and like, I want to see you rot in hell for the rest of eternity, all that kind of thing. Is that what he's wanting to hear? Does he feel a sense of satisfaction when he hears that? Because I have achieved my goal. I have hurt this community badly. Or does it hurt him more? You know, the Bible talks about when we forgive a person that it is like pouring coals of fire on top of their head. What happens when John Milne comes forward and says, I forgive you and I hope to see you in heaven. And I believe that my son has forgiven you and he would like to see you in heaven as well. You know, what, what, what goes through the shooter's mind in that kind of a circumstance? I mean, yeah. isn't that an utter failure? Yeah. He's tried to hurt these people and they are refusing to be hurt. Now, obviously a lot of them are. That's got to have some impact, right? Even if it's not... It's going to be something massive. Either that he's completely annoyed, or yeah, it's like as you said. Oh, this is—it's so fascinating to me, like forgiveness yes. and how it works. Because these are all people of faith, right? They are absolutely, and That's, it's not yeah. discrediting that they have faith or don't. That they also have these very human feelings. Oh, of, I'm absolutely, angry. absolutely. But, but I'm just—I'm curious, like how? What is it in a person to be able to extend that? It's so challenging to me as a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. To ask myself, if I was in those shoes, could I possibly do that? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think this is challenging to all people of faith at a time like this. Hard, uh, yeah. So then you've got uh, um, uh, Mulad Aden Ibrahim, who was three years old. Uh, he used to, uh, his favourite thing to do when they went to the mosque was to run around handing out copies of the Quran for everybody. Oh, and so you can yes. imagine a little three-year-old toddler running around doing that kind of thing would be kind of cute. It would be and so cute. everybody would love him. And of course, when the shooting started, he just clung to his father's leg mm. and was shot dead right there. And you think, you know, oh. what a heartless, senseless act that is. And his father gave an impact statement in which he said, you know, you've killed my son. I can never forgive you. I will never mm. forgive you. His sister, his sister was living in Western Australia. The sister of the same person? Sister of the, of the little boy that was mm. shot. And she hadn't been back to New Zealand since 2013. And she hadn't actually met her brother. Mm. She was arriving in New Zealand three weeks after the shooting took place. And, you know, super looking forward to meeting a little brother and yeah. catching up with the family and so forth. She said, for the sake of Allah, I do forgive this man and pray he sees the right path. Oof. It kind of sends chills up and down your spine when you read statements like that, doesn't it? Because that's the opposite of what human beings do. Mm. And it talks about, it talks to me about the power of forgiveness. And I really want to explore sometime um, this subject with David Haupt. You know, we've talked about this before. But, you know, he's our resident expert on emotional health and just talk about, okay, what, what does this do? Which, which, how, does, how, does this, how do these different, different scenarios impact a person? 
And how does a person, you know, move and position themselves so that they can forgive? Mm-hmm. How, does, how does God do that in a person's life? I've never had a tragedy of this level where I've really had to confront this myself. I've had tragedies, but they've been random tragedies. They haven't been, you know. Intentional. W- yeah. Mm. And so it, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just wow. It is, is very, very, um, very, very confronting. The next story I want to share comes from Argentina. And while my last story goes very well with this week's prize, this story kind of links in with what we're going to talk about in the interview. Because coming up in the interview, we have uh, Michael Worker joining us. He's the Religious Liberty Director for the Adventist Church in Australia. And we're going to talk about you know, conversion therapy, particularly in the ACT, Queensland, etc. ACT is voting on it today. And the implications for religious liberty. But this story comes from Argentina, and it's about a Roman Catholic nun, Sister Monica Astoria uh, Cremona. Um, who is who belongs to the discolored Carmelite nuns of Argentina, who set up this refuge for uh, trans women. She's got 12 rooms there. Uh, the women range from 40 to 70. And, um, and I think what's important here, because she set this up in, in tremendous opposition. Hmm. The community didn't want it. Uh, her... Church members, her fellow church members didn't want it. Her diocese opposed her in setting it up. Uh, She was supported by Pope Francis. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think regardless of our views of whether we see, you know, having a sex change as being beneficial or not, you know, I haven't seen any scientific evidence to say that it is. It certainly doesn't lower the suicide rate. We have to remember that these are human beings. Yeah, of course. And we also have to remember that they are probably the most vulnerable members of our society that they are, that there that there are. Mm. And we have to remember that they are human beings who are broken sinners in need of the grace of God like everybody else. And really what we have is a community here that even in our, you know, super modern way of thinking, we tend to, they, they still tend to be the lepers of society. Mm. It's actually amazing that she has been willing to do that, that she's gone, this is a need, this is important, and even if no one stands with me, I'll still find a way. Like obviously she's had some approval, but that's actually, that can be a hard thing to do, even if yeah, you, oh, yeah, if you really believe to, in something. That's right. She's had to fight mm. to make this mm. happen. Oh. And you know, as we know, this is this is the this is the demographic. This is the people in our society that have the highest suicide rate. They have a higher suicide rate than you know Jews in uh, persecution in Germany during the Second World War. Mm. You know, under under Nazi Germany, um, and so you know they are very very vulnerable to uh, everything that is happening. And we need to remember that they are people in mm. need of the grace of God, like everybody else Mm. and not forget that we are broken human beings as well and that we need to be doing whatever we can to support people who are in need in times like this forgiveness it's easier said than done but now there's a new approach to help us be more forgiving a program called forgive to live it's designed to help us all improve our lives you'll discover the healing power of forgiveness 
a relationship breakdown, long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. Through Forgive to Live, you can break this cycle and start living a more forgiving life. So if you're keen to take that first step, head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is Michael Worker. Michael is the Religious Liberty Director for the Adventist Church in Australia. Mm-hmm. We've had some interesting developments in relationship to religious liberty with legislation that uh, has been passed and is being passed in relationship to conversion therapy. Now, a number of states have been you know, looking at banning conversion therapy, um, which is more commonly known as gay conversion therapy, so you know, endeavouring to change a person's sexual orientation. Um, in the past, you know, there's been some really uh, kind of terrible uh, things like electric shock therapy, nausea ther- therapy, even lobotomies, brain surgery to try and uh, change people. You've got other psychological-based therapies, uh, you know, that are now seen as being a form of torture. Uh, this has all taken place in the past. And, um, yeah, things that we would all consider to be horrific um, and that none of us would condone. Michael Worker, thank you for joining us on the phone this morning. Yeah, morning, Lyle. It's good to be with you. Now, this is a tricky subject and a very sensitive one. It kind of walks a uh, an interestingly fine line, but none of us support torture or abuse of any person. So when we come to this anti-conversion therapy laws that are being passed, isn't this a really good cause? Well, Lyle, we've we've certainly discussed some interesting subjects over the years um, in in this space, but I, I don't think we've ever covered a, a subject that's as that is as tricky as this. And I think yes, absolutely, um, the 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 type of conversion therapy that was practiced in the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties, um, we we would not condone that. It, it was certainly typified in a movie that was released um, in 2018 called Boy Erased, and it, it was really hard to watch that and to see what was being portrayed as conversion therapy in those days. But, yeah, so on, on one hand, absolutely, we, we would not want to see any sort of coercive uh, therapy or treatment used. But then we've got to ask ourselves another question, Lyle, what what other ideological views are being pushed um, as part of this legislation, and and how does that intersect um, with with uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom of um, expression rights? And and I guess balancing those provisions is is the bit that's got many people exercised at the moment. Yes, and I think it's one of those areas in which there is a broad range of beliefs amongst uh, religious people in Australia, and I'm talking about religious people of all faiths, but even Mm. within Christianity, uh, from very traditional uh, practices and beliefs right the way through to, you know, more progressive uh, practices. But just getting back to the, you know, the kinds of things that we were talking about, the kinds of things that might be highlighted in, you know, you you mentioned the Boy Erased uh, movie, are we... Are we, with this legislation, banning something that has naturally disappeared of itself? Do we need to have this legislation? Hasn't, haven't we moved past this altogether? And, and that's a really interesting thing, Lyle. And, you know, I, 
I can't speak absolutely or emphatically, but let me quote, give you a couple of quotes um, in the submissions that went in um, raising concerns about the Queensland Bill before it became legislation. Firstly, a quote from the Australian Medical Association of Queensland, and they outlined in their submission their concerns around the potential for the legislation to limit therapeutic approaches supporting children and as adolescents who present with gender dysphoria. And, and so that's concerning. And then we have the Queensland Health Ombudsman, Andrew Brown. He says, I can advise that to date this office, this is the Queensland Health Ombudsman, has not received any complaints regarding any type of conversion therapy as described in the bill. So, and, and I guess that's that's the thing... Look, we, we, we don't get all of those insights as to what is happening, what, what, what complaints are being raised, but certainly the evidence seems a bit thin on the ground uh, for, for these, certainly for these more extreme practices. Yes, I wonder would, one would wonder why we actually need legislation to ban something that isn't happening. It um, sort of, yeah, it, it, that, that raises a whole bunch of questions in my mind that... Um, I guess, send off little alarm bells, like is there more to this than what meets the eye? Um, what we're talking about, Queensland, the Queensland legislation states that, um, to quote, a person who is a health service provider must not perform conversion therapy on another person. Then it further goes on to define a health service provider, includes anyone who provides uh, a service that is, and I'm shortening it down here, um, or purports to be a service for maintaining, improving, restoring, or managing people's health or well-being. My question is, would it be unreasonable to claim that a church pastor provides a service to maintain, manage, or restore a person's well-being? And, and Lyle, that's a, a really good question. And, and I guess with any new legislation, particularly legislation such as this that is drafted um, quite broadly, um, until we get some case law, it, it's going to be um, quite tricky to tell how the courts will want to apply this legislation and and what they will will deem to be in or out. But it, look, it, it comes across as a bit of a, a bit of a grey area, and you know where on the spectrum does that come? Again, you know we, we've spoken about not wishing to be. Um, condoning or supporting any sort of co coercive or manipulative therapy, um, but but certainly there is lots of opportunities to talk through. Um, you know, people present to pastors with all kinds of distress and uncertainty and confusion on their life in their lives, and the, and they're wanting a, a sounding board, a, a spiritual sounding board who who can bring bring a biblical worldview. And I, I guess there's there is some uncertainty in that in that um, scope. Um, the, in, in looking at the, um, what the Queensland Law Society has had to say about the, the legislation, and this is, I guess, going a little bit off the topic of past, as it says, that the Queensland Law Society is concerned that the prospect of criminal prosecution may fetter otherwise legitimate aspects of psychological and psychiatric treatment. So if there's concerns in, in, in that sphere, I guess it's reasonable to conclude that there could be concerns in, in related fields um, where, where people are seeking advice from, from school professionals. 
And I guess the fear for, you know, people who are pastors such as um, as you and myself is that, you know, there if 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 somebody came to us for counseling and we were to read, you know, some passages from the Bible, then, you know, would be would we be liable? Uh, or could we be? And as you say, case law is going to uh, reveal that to us more clearly. Michael, I do want to move on to uh, the situation in the ACT, mm. um, particularly because this bill is likely to be voted on today. Um, the ACT bill states that the objects of this bill are to affirm that all people have characteristics of sexuality and gender identity. Uh, many you know, Christians, as well as scientists and researchers and, and other faiths, would say that a person has a biological gender which corresponds to their actual sex, either male or female, as opposed to uh, gender identity. Is this bill trying to, I guess, solve that problem and legislate the end of that argument and discussion? It's a tricky question. And look, you know, we, we do know that there are people who are born in this world, a small a small number who are genuinely intersex and, and you know, we, we don't want to, um, you know, say anything um, against people who fall into the intersex category. We, we've we got a spectrum Um you know the Bible says that we're we're born male and female, um, but certainly in modern society, um, there there are plenty of people who who feel confusion, and it's it, it, it's such a grey and murky area. I think one of the the consequences of these sorts of legislation is many Christians and 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 even Christian leaders will feel uncertain and therefore self-censor and and not feel free to talk about what they believe what, what the bible says and and i guess that's concerning because that that goes to freedom of speech and freedom freedom of expression um and i think that's at the nub of of the concern yes we you know we we want um we we don't want to impose our worldview on other people, but we want you know, and and I'll talk more about that in a little while. We we want the freedom to be able to say, look, the 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 Bible says X Y Z, um, w- without fear of repercussions for for simply um, sharing a biblical worldview. Mm, mm. Yeah, and as as I guess we've mentioned before, you know, there's a whole range of uh, belief and practice across. Uh, faiths in Australia in relationship to these issues uh, and mm. we need to protect all of those um, okay so the bill goes on to state that no combinations of um, okay person's characteristics of sexuality or gender identity constitutes a, disor- a disorder or disorder disorder disease illness deficiency disability or shortcoming uh, my, I, my question from this you know does reading you know some passages of the Bible to someone, that you know, state some of these actions are sinful, constitute a breach of this law. Um, surely, you know, sin can be defined as being a shortcoming or a deficiency. And so, if you know, somebody comes to you or I as a pastor, and and we say state that some particular practice is sinful, and the law says that that is not the case, where do we where do we actually end up stand, standing with that? Yeah, and look, there's there's some wonderful Christian legal academics um, around Australia who who 
really have the skill to dissect and understand um, the law legislation and, and I'm really indebted and grateful um, to their commitment to to applying their, their, their skills, their expertise from a Christian perspective. And what you've quoted from is Clause 6A2. And, and to quote one of the legal academics who, who has written on this, uh, his comment is, perhaps this obscurity can be passed over on the basis that this is merely an objects clause in the bill and does not impose any direct obligations. So I guess the, the immediate answer is no. But then he goes on to say, but as these types of clauses are meant to inform the judicial interpretation of a law, it is not a good start. So in many ways, the, the first answer is no. And then the second answer is but. <laughs> and again, we come back to the whole area of, of case law. And, you know, uh, should this legislation be, be voted? Um, are we going to see a, a quick run at the courts? Probably not. But you, what you're doing is creating a whole lot of mechanisms that, again, create uncertainty. Um, the, the, we, we, we get into murkier area of balancing the, 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 the various human rights that people in society uh, are able to enjoy and where does one person's freedom impinge on another person's freedom. And so what we're doing is creating more, more vehicles, more mechanisms uh, that, that just make this an even more confused space for those who, who need to speak into it. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the challenge from a religious liberty perspective is that if we are relying on as yet untested case law to determine whether we have religious liberty on these subjects in the future, then that's a fairly shaky ground for religious liberty as opposed to you know, religious liberty actually being written into the legislation. And, and, and that is our problem both in Australia and particularly also in New South Wales where, where the, the legislated freedom of religion um, it, it just doesn't exist. Um, the, the religious, look, generally speaking, we enjoy very good freedom of religion in Australia, but that's because it's been a societal norm. That's because it's been just the way we've done things and, and there's, there's very little legislation to back it up. And this is why the religious discrimination bill that the federal government says they'll come back to once we recover from the pandemic. This is why the, the bill, without going too much on a tangent, that, that Mark Latham has put into Parliament uh, in New South Wales, it's before an inquiry at the moment, are, are all so important so that we do get the balancing provisions at law fair, equitable, reasonable, um, so, so that we don't have to depend just on a societal norm or societal goodwill, but we've actually legislated all the various human rights that the, the United Nations have, have identified. Mm. Michael, as, uh, as expected, we're kind of running out of time on this one. Yes. But, um, you know, I, I guess one of the questions that comes to mind is when we're talking about gender dysphoria um, and, you know, this being something that exists in the mind, um, you know, we we can also talk about, okay, well, what about if somebody identifies as a different race or a different species or a different age or whatever it might be? But I'm just wondering whether there's some final comments that you can uh, uh, finish up with. Yeah, look, I think 
As Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in the principle of freedom of speech and freedom of expression. And and one, one of our guiding principles is we'll vigorously defend the right um, of people who agree with us and even those who do not agree with us to have the freedom of speech and expression. Mm. And I think we also believe very clearly that we should not impose our worldview on others. Rather, we should, you know, when given the opportunity... Um, to to share about a loving saviour in in Jesus Christ, and in that context, if 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 they want to know more about Jesus and, and what is said about him in the Bible, that we can lovingly share a biblical worldview. So, look, I, I would like to see that we all have the freedom to reasonably and respectfully express our views and beliefs and our values, even, even you know, if the people we're having the conversation with us vigorously disagree. And, and I think, for me, this is what a tolerant, um, pluralistic society is all about. And, and, and I think that that kind of tolerant society where we can live with different perspectives and point of views will give us the best Australia we can possibly have as we look forward to the time when Jesus comes again and we get to enter a perfect world. Michael Worker, thank you so much. Uh, That was very well stated right there. I don't think it could be stated better than that. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. A pleasure, and God bless you and uh, all, all your listeners. That was Michael Worker from the Director of the Religious Liberty Department for Australia in the Adventist Church. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It is now time for... Question of the day. Okay, so the question today, Lyle, is, is tithe still important today and why or why not? Yes, because a lot of people say that tithe was, you know, just for the Jews, Mm -hmm. you know, it was something that was part of the law of Moses, right? Yes. Okay, the interesting thing about tithe is that it predates the law of Moses and it postdates the Jews as being God's church. Mm Mm-hmm. And so if you want to find the first mention of tithe, it's not the origin of tithe, it's the first mention of tithe, you find that in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. This is Melchizedek. This is Melchizedek, who was priest of the Most High God. He was not Jewish. He was not of Abraham's line. He was not related to Abraham in any way, shape or form or Mm. anything Jewish about him. So he's an entirely non-Jewish person. And the Bible talks about Abraham returning tithe. It does not say that God came and said, hey, I'm going to do this new thing. <laughs> yes. It's spoken of as an assumption. This is what followers of God did. And you can read that in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 20. Uh, now, of course, Moses does describe what tithe was to be used for. And some people get a bit confused over this one. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 21, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel. That's the word tithe is simply tenth. It's the same word. Mm. All the tenth in Israel for inheritance, for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so the Levites were the ministers yes. of Israel. They were to be full-time ministers. They were to look after, you know, they had their own cities. They had six cities that were given to them. There wasn't not given to them any land. And the reason that God did not give them any land was that God wanted them to be in full-time ministry. This was hmm. the only ancient nation that had a full-time ministry for the entire population. They were to take care of the social needs, the emotional needs, the spiritual needs of the nation and to be spread throughout the nation. And so God did not want them to be distracted by having to go out and plant food and harvest crops, etc. 
Paul speaks about this. In fact, before we go to what Paul says about it, I'm going to read you what Jesus says about it in Matthew 23 and verse 23. Because Jesus uh, speaks about tithe. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, your herb garden, <laughs> and have omitted the weightier matters of the Lord, judgment, mercy and faith. And this is the bit that a lot of people miss. These, mm. tithing your herb garden, you ought to have done. Just as it's well like as. You're doing the right thing, mm. okay, by tithing your herb garden. Absolutely. Keep going. This is a good thing. Mm. And not leave the other undone. Yep. Okay, so it's like judgment, mercy, and faith. Yeah, these are bigger things. Mm. Uh, but don't, stop, well don't stop returning tithe. Mm. Now, people often talk about paying tithe. Nobody pays tithe. There's no such thing as paying tithe. You can't pay tithe. <laughs> yeah. Who are you paying? You're returning You're tithe. You're returning, yeah. That's right. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 9 and here in verse 13, uh, Paul speaks about tithe and, um, the, and, the, and the Levites who live off the tithe. He says, do you not know that those which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? That's the tithe, and that's mm-hmm. the Levites who live off the tithe. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so has the Lord ordained that those who preach the gospel should live off the gospel. So that's Paul. That's New Testament. That's him talking about tithe and him saying that the New Testament believers should Return tithe as well. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.